Well, guys, I am really excited to be here this morning. My name is Lane. I am the Young Adults Pastor and the Youth Director here at the church. And I'm excited to be preaching this morning, but I have to say I'm even more excited about what is going on right now this weekend. If you look over here to the side of the building, we've got our youth, high school group, Youth for the City. Give them a round of applause. Say what's up, guys. Guys. This is about half of the crew. Another half of the crew is headed over to the east side, but um, all weekend they have been together having fun, but also serving the community. They've been partnering with different nonprofits and city leaders in the area and asking, how can we help? And their attitude and their love and their joy has honestly been the highlight of my year. It's been so, so cool to watch you guys do this. So we just wanted to show you a quick video to give you a glimpse into what our weekends looked like so far. Come on, come on. If that doesn't get you excited, nothing I'm going to say this morning is going to be worth your while. So I'm really, really proud of you guys. They are going to go right now because they are doing a car wash in support of the Beaverton Resource Center. The Beaverton Resource Center um, assists with at-risk youth and families in our area. Um, And so if you want to get your car washed, guys, and you want to support, one, what our youth are doing, and two, what the Beaverton Resource is doing for our community, you can do that on your way out this morning. Um, They have a way to accept both cash and digital donations. And so please support our youth and, and go do that. All right. Well, we're going to get into today's teaching. We are in a series right now. This is week two of a series called A People in a Place. And this is a series that is based on the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And last week, Brad uh, gave a very, very good message um, right out of the middle of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. It's the famous love passage. And if you haven't had an opportunity to listen to that, I recommend it. I I was really moved by it. And one of my, the favorite things, uh, one of my favorite things that he said was, a supernaturally transformed heart doesn't feel love. It is love. And I'm grateful that we started here because this idea is really at the heart of this entire series and it's at the center of Paul's ministry to the church in Corinth. What it means to be a community of Jesus followers is that we are a people rooted in love, transformed by the renewing work of the Spirit. And in this transformation, we step into a new humanity that God inaugurated with Jesus. But we live in this tension where although we are not uh, who we used to be, we are not yet who we are fully becoming. We don't want to always live into this picture of a redeemed reality, which is why Paul is writing letters to the church to course correct when they drift, to remind them of who God is and who he's making them to be. It's believed that Paul wrote several letters to this church. How many of you know that human beings can be kind of stubborn and forget things, right? So they need a lot of reminders. So do we. 
And we're going to go to the beginning of, of uh, 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 10. So if you want to turn there right now, you can. Um, uh, that's where we're going to be reading from later. But Paul, in this section, is, is uh, addressing something that is relevant for us today. He's addressing celebrity culture. Celebrity culture. Apparently, celebrity culture is not new. We've had one version of this or another all throughout human history. Why do we create these systems of celebrity culture? There's always been this human compulsion to elevate a person to the limelight, right? To conjure up someone to save us or someone to be a symbol of our agenda. And when they don't measure up to our expectations, we crucify them. You've ever heard this phrase, never meet your hero? Yeah? Even the ancient Israelites who were following the direct guidance of God requested a human king that was qualified by their standards. And of course, those kings never lived up, lived up to their expectations. We have this desire to find someone to aspire to. We like to find someone who embodies what we want to be, what we want to become. But the line between role model and idol can be pretty thin. Quite quickly, someone we admire can become someone we worship. And no, we don't sacrifice animals to them and we don't call them God. But worship is simply the act by which we ascribe worth to something, right? Usually our time, our energy, our money, our affection, our passion, they go towards these things that we ascribe worth to. And if that's the case, there are a lot of things that are competing for worship in my life, but not in yours because you guys are better than that. You know, when I was a child, I had two pretty dominant role models. One was collectively the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Anybody, any fans in the house? Oh, don't lie. You know, be proud. Yeah, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Um, Come on. And then Michael Jackson was my other role model, right? The early stuff, like thriller years, yeah. Now, the Power Rangers were simply everything that was right in the world, right? Teenagers with attitude who fought evil with the help of their mighty power zords, yeah? Some producer was brilliant. They were like, hey, should these teenagers use dinosaurs or robots? And some person was like, um, how about both? And then we got something really great, yeah? You know, as soon as I was old enough I, and I got a cell phone, probably around eighth or ninth grade, I downloaded the Power Ranger ring, ringtone, you know, the da, 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 da. yeah, nerd alert. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I may or may not have owned a Power Ranger shirt in college. Uh, by that, I mean, I definitely did. <laughs> now, there's a lot going on in this picture. Um, this is me and my now wife, girlfriend at the time in college in 2010, and we were about to go to a Halloween, uh, sorry, harvest party. We're Christians here. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, look at the background. This is my dorm. There are like Avengers posters in the back. And this is before Avengers came out. Yeah, so this was a revolutionary time. Um, that chair that you see in the background is, yes, a bright pink floral print. Uh, we may or may not have found that on the side of the road and put that in our dorm, my roommate and I. College is a weird time. Anyway, um, so I also idolized Michael Jackson, right? I, I may or may not have memorized the thriller choreography at the age of seven. Yes, I did. I found myself in a bit of a pickle as a child because my two role models were very different types of awesome. Both awesome, but very different types of awesome. And one time my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up and I felt stuck. Like, I wanted to be like Michael Jackson, but I also wanted to be a Power Ranger. So I told her that I wanted to be known as Dancing in Danger. Yeah? I bet you've never heard that phrase before, but you can picture it, right? Like me moonwalking my way through a bunch of bad guys and Michael Jackson kicking him in the face. Like, you were impressed by that. Don't act like you were. Okay, you may be asking, Lane, what does this have to do with anything we're talking about? The point is, 
We have this tendency to want to elevate people to celebrity status in our lives, right? And we even like to create them in our own image. We idolize them. We idealize them. And we, we pretend that they are better than they are even behind closed doors, right? Never meet your heroes. Why do we do this? Why do we have celebrities in our lives that we look up to? I think there's a few things. One is it's a shortcut to having to listen to God. Because listening to God is very delicate, very intentional work. So why go through all the trouble of quieting my soul when I can embrace somebody who's speaking more loudly and saying more things that I want to hear? And two, we like to farm out to the expert. I don't know what to think or feel about this thing, so I'm going to let so-and-so tell me how I'm supposed to think or feel about this thing. We're also very competitive, yeah? My dad can beat up your dad, my president can beat up your president, that kind of thing. And we're very individualistic here in the West, right? I get to choose the God that best suits me. And this human tendency, this is what Paul is writing about in the passage we're about to read. This series is called A People in a Place, right? Paul is, is, is a brilliant man who was radically transformed by Jesus, um, respected by many. He's, he's determined to see the church of Jesus flourish. And so he's writing to the Christians living in, the, in, in Corinth. And this is a Greco-Roman city. It's a hub of culture, of commerce, of, of idolatry, of philosophy. It's a culture, honestly, a lot like Portland. People who are educated and wealthy and ambitious and talented, worldly. And he's asking them to consider who is it that we truly follow? Who is the celebrity, our example, our role model? And then he invites the church deeper than emulating a celebrity. He offers Jesus as an example, not just because he was the best human, but because he's the Messiah, because he's the Lord, and who Jesus is changes everything. So humans, no matter how impressive or unimpressive, are not who we are to model but human beings are stubborn and forgetful, and that's why he's writing to the church. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you, what I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And yet another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I love that he's processing this as he's writing this letter. <laughs> For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, we're going to unpack this. So there's not a lot we know about Chloe, but apparently it's likely that Chloe was a trusted confidant of Paul's, a leader in the church, and she's the head of a household, and her servants have delivered word from, uh, Corinthians, or from Corinth to Ephesus that there is trouble and division in the church of Corinth. And Apollos, according to Acts 18, he was a learned Jew from Alexandria who was deeply grounded in the scripture, and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. He had a lot of passion, a lot of eloquence. He was already operating as a preacher in Ephesus before meeting Paul. What's interesting is that Paul was not, to have, not, to, not believed to have been a very eloquent public speaker, even though he was a brilliant writer. And so it's, it's, it's possible that people were gravitating towards Apollos because of his rhetorical skill. And Paul warns about the danger of following people simply for their woo, simply for their charm, because the substance of our unity 
is the power of the cross, not the eloquence of our leaders. That's important. He says, how can Christ's body be divided? How, you can't say you're Christ's body and also be divided. They're, they're, they can't happen. You're missing the point. And then what's interesting is he seems to be critiquing people who are saying, I belong to Christ. But when I first read that, I thought, well, aren't we supposed to be emulating Christ? Like, why are you critiquing someone saying that? But what troubles Paul about this is the potential for something called spiritual elitism. I follow Christ. I'm a real kind of Christian, right? But none of you guys are like that in here. <laughs> we have this way of thinking like, well, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the real kind of Christian, but those Christians over there, I'm not like them. But the second anyone claims this, they become somebody who claims that they have exclusive access to Jesus. Did you know that there are roughly 45,000 denominations of Christianity across the globe today? 45,000 different organizations that follow Jesus in the way that they determine to be best. And by the way, I'm a fan of the global church, and I think the global church is an incredible thing. But 45,000 denominations is quite a number. There is this cartoon that I stumbled upon a while back. This is a picture of a membership class, and the teacher at the front is pointing at this graph of, of Christian churches and movements all throughout history. It starts at 1 AD, and it branches off into all these movements that we have today. And the teacher says, uh, uh, so this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. <laughs> and then one of the students says, wow, Jesus is so lucky to have us. <laughs> it's comical, but it's true, yeah? We, we tend to operate this way where we feel like we've stumbled upon the one that Jesus loves the most, yeah? Now, I am a licensed four-square minister. I'm technically a reverend. Any chance to brag about that? I love that. <laughs> I love our movement, but I don't for one second believe that we have a monopoly on the kingdom of God. You know what I'm saying? I'm an imperfect pastor following imperfect leaders, and we're all doing the best we can under the guidance and grace of the Spirit. That's what the church is. But we like to have these heroic figures that we can look to to help us out in the confusion. And this in and of itself is not unhealthy to have role models or people that we look to for wisdom until an opinion or policy of a leader figure in our lives takes precedence over having unity in Christ. When following one leader becomes more important than having unity in Christ, then it becomes an issue. And that's what Paul's addressing here. In this Corinthian culture, they valued celebrity as much as we do, if not more. A huge part of the economy was built upon the, the selling of, of stuff around idols. It's very important to the culture. But the way of Christ and the teachings of Paul encourage a life of servanthood, a culture by which all people are equal recipients of grace, all on equal ground at the foot of the cross. No one is greater than or less than based on their achievements or their status. In the first century church, it was common to, in these house churches to see a slave and a governor, a carpenter and a shepherd, women and men, all equal, all united by the same love that set them free and gave them a hope for God's preferred future. It was an upside down way to do life. Because everyone knows you're supposed to curry favor with those whom you wish to emulate in an effort to achieve and acquire what they possess. The idea that we would emulate, emulate Christ who lays down his life in the service of those he loves this is contrarian. This goes against the grain. Look, I don't know how to be the smartest person in the room. I don't know how to be the most charismatic, the strongest, the most influential. 
but I think I know how to be good. Goodness comes from submitting myself to Jesus before and above anyone or anything else. I don't want it if you're not in it. I just want you. Me submitted to anything above him cannot be good. And yes, we submit ourselves to each other out of sacrificial love and humility and to our leaders, but we never submit to anyone above Christ. See, celebrities, they're so compelling because they embody who we aspire to become, or we paint them as a leader who can do no wrong, who we can unwaveringly follow. And we've always had celebrities, these faraway figures um, that, that uh, give us something to look to. You know, me and my wife, uh, when we were in lockdown, we binge watched a show about the British royal family, which at first I was like, I'm not going to care about this at all. But I was really interested as the show went on, and uh, it was really fascinating. And there is this quote, Queen Mary spoke this line in the show that both was interesting and terrifying. She said this, monarchy is God's sacred mission to grace and dignify the earth to give ordinary people an ideal to strive towards, an example of nobility and duty to raise them up in their wretched lives. (laughs) Doesn't that make you feel icky? (laughs) This goes against everything we learned about in Leviticus. Remember Leviticus? Say you remember Leviticus. We only spent like 400 weeks in it. (laughs) The high priests were set apart and went through these really radical purity rituals only to become filthy and smelly in the service of their community. This is the model of leadership that Jesus gives to us. Now, we may not have a monarchy in the U.S., but we elevate people to royalty in our culture, and people like it. Ambitious people have a desire to create this royal example for us to live by, and we let them. So, so who's your Queen Mary? Is it, is it an athlete? Is it a CEO? Is it a political leader? Is it a pastor? But how does Jesus set an example? Does he rest in his glorious place above human suffering and pain in order to give us something to aspire to? No. In Luke 22, he's talking to his disciples. This is what it says. A dispute also arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest, the disciples. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them, over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I among you, I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father has conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what's he saying? He's saying that ruling and reigning alongside Jesus, the way that Jesus rules and reigns is fueled by service, by humbling oneself in the service of others. Matthew 20, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. I was speaking with a young man recently. He was probably 18 or 19 years old. And he was telling me that by his experience, he's learned that people aren't really interested in you. That they don't don't really care about you. They'll pretend to care about you, but ultimately all they want to do is use you to achieve their own means. And he meant it. And it broke my heart. Nineteen years old, he believed that no one cared about him. There's a, an Avengers uh, villain 
named Loki, right? He calls this a mad scramble for power. That's how he described human beings. And to what end, right? Like what happens when we finally achieve all that we want and finally reach the top? What happens then? You know, Jim Carrey, he's an actor and comedian. You guys know who Jim Carrey is. He said this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that's not the answer. You know, without self-giving love, I'm afraid that this young man is right. Not Jim Carrey, the other young man. People just want to get theirs. But I also believe that the goodness of God, his beautiful DNA, his fingerprints are hidden all throughout the human soul perhaps lying dormant, waiting to be activated. And this God image bearing part of us that wants to be brought into the light, sometimes we just need a reminder of who God is and who he's created us to be. It's there within us. Brad taught us last week that these things like patience and kindness and trust, these attributes are not simply that of a philosophy of love. They are attributes of God who himself is love. And if we want a life any better than the one this young man described to me, We don't need to be emulating celebrities in an effort to achieve what they have. We need to emulate God's love, which teaches us to lay down our lives in the service of others. The kingdom of God is one that is upside down. The one who sits at the table, the one who serves. Jesus' pathway to glory was a descent into service, and this is our unity. Paul writes, perfectly united in mind and thought. And this is where we find perfect agreement. Not that we all agree with Apollos or Cephas or Paul, but that we all submit to Christ. Not out of a heart of exclusive elitism, like, well, I follow Christ. But in a race to the bottom, to emulate Christ, who gets to serve. You know, the pastor who married me and my wife, he said that Ephesians 5 is not about who's in charge. It's about who gets to serve. It's a competition of who can outserve the other. And we forget this, don't we? We forget that this is how the body of Christ is characterized by sacrificial love. And we get caught up with things like liberals and conservatives, progressives and fundamentalists, evangelicals and secularists, leftists and rightists, communists and capitalists, socialists and nationalists, Pentecostals and cessationists. These are not the categories by which we discern the world. These are the systems that we've been given by those who carry influence. But human beings are far too complex and far too nuanced and far too beautiful for those polarizing narratives. Friends, have we found ourselves in a place where we are being discipled more by our culture than we are by Christ? Maybe we need to be reminded we are not first and foremost citizens of the United States. We are exiles in a foreign land. This country, which I love, and I would would not want to live anywhere else, as much as I love it, It's not my home, at least not the way it was supposed to be. We've been so conditioned to see ourselves as boxes on a ballot that we've forgotten that we are a people in a place. Have we been deceived? Don't we know that I can do far more for the work of the kingdom in my day-to-day life with the people right in front of me than I can once every four years in a voting booth? I can spread so much more light and love being present to the people in my life than I can being distracted by clickbait media. Followers of Jesus are not consumers. We are commissioned. We are on mission sent wherever we place our feet to be ambassadors of light to a higher kingdom, a kingdom that is not left or right, but above. A kingdom that is not built on power and acquisition, but rather out of self-giving love and service. These world's leaders are not good enough. 
Our pastors are not smart enough. Our governments are not strong enough. Our hope, our allegiance, our affection must therefore be rooted in something beyond what this world has to offer. Any human glory that we glimpse on this side of eternity is but a glimmer of the reflection of glory that God awaits us. Our only way to healing, our only way to love, what unites us perfectly in thought and mind is not that we agree on which policy or leader will enact the best good for the most people, but rather that we agree that no policy or leader will ever enact as much good as our perfectly loving Jesus. If there is something happening in your world that breaks your heart, stop waiting for some leader to do something about it. Jesus did something about it when he sent you. Don't wait for your leaders to become everything that Jesus is already. Trust that Jesus in you is bringing about the reconciliation and redemption of our world. Friends, we need to be less concerned with standing in arrogant judgment of our leaders and more concerned with emulating God's heart of service. That's how we heal the world. Now, does this mean that we don't contend for justice, for fairness, and for accountability? Of course not. We should be engaged in public policy, invested in, in the choosing of our leaders, but we never make the mistake of trusting in those systems or waiting for those systems to bring about the kingdom of God, which only Jesus can bring. Any good we enact on this earth, earth is but a signpost of God's redeemed future. When we look to Jesus, we're talking about a peace that transcends understanding. A peace that empowers a human being like Jesus to be tortured and killed in the face of betrayal and malice because it's not about winning by the rules of the evil one. It's about even losing with faith in the one who is good. It's about choosing to die a thousand deaths while clinging to love rather than winning a single fight by playing by the enemy's rules. Who are you fighting? Paul makes this appeal by saying brothers and sisters. This is not an arbitrary, he says it twice. Look into the face of the most radical liberal, of the most, of the most stubborn fundamentalist. It's the face of your brother. It's the face of your sister, your mother, your father. It is a bond created in the depths of God's being. Do you understand what that means? Christ's prayer was that we be one as he and the Father are one. That means that what we have, despite our differences, goes deeper than blood, goes deeper than DNA. And never in a million lifetimes should we ever jeopardize that unity. This means more than anything. Our ability to come together and trust in Jesus You know, in Ephesians chapter three, it says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Your story of love is but one tiny piece one part of the picture of what God has done and is doing and will do. So only together with all of God's holy people can we even get a glimpse of God's fullness. When I get to know you, when you get to know me, I get to see a new facet of God. We need each other. So can we set aside our echo chambers? Can we endeavor to do something better than just find the influential voice, the PhD and the charismatic leader that agrees with what we think? Because... You know, you can find a PhD that'll agree with anything you want, a charismatic leader that will reinforce anything you want to say. If you want to say the Holocaust never happened, there's a PhD out there that wrote a paper on it. 
If you want to see that racism isn't a problem or was never a problem, there's a PhD out there. If you want to say the earth is flat, unfortunately, there's a PhD out there that will agree with you. And this is why the kingdom of God is not built upon and does not rely upon people who talk good and do good book learning. That's not what it's about. Jesus was arguably the most effective and eloquent speaker and teacher the world has ever seen. But a lot of people didn't come along because it wasn't about that. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Faith in Jesus is profound and revolutionary because it creates, not because it creates perfect leaders and eloquent speakers, but because Jesus' act of sacrificial love on the cross delivered human beings from sin, death, and, and turmoil. That's why it's meaningful. Paul's saying, don't put your hope in leaders. Don't even put your hope in me. Put your hope in the power of the cross. It's so interesting. <laughs> human beings are simultaneously more valuable and precious than any of us could ever imagine, and yet not nearly as important as we think we are. The right leaders are not the way. They're, we're never going to get the perfect answers from them. We believe that Jesus is always offering us another way. A way that breaks our limited categories and brings restoration on a level that we were not prepared for. This is unity. When we look at the systems the world gives us and, and the solutions the world gives us and we acknowledge them for what they are, a faint reflection of the vision that God has for our fully redeemed world. Paul's correction to the Corinthians, it, it, it begs some important essential questions for us. And these questions may help us to receive Paul's words as words to us. Who are we listening to? What experts have the most influence of our lives? What podcasts? What news programs? Is it the Bible as God's word? Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it Fox? Is it CNN? Is it social media influencers? Where do we find our wisdom? And how does it help us foster unity and holiness in Christ's body? Because if it doesn't foster unity, it can't be wisdom. And why are we, as a part of Christ's body, so easily swayed by divisive and, and incendiary rhetoric? These questions may seem impolite, but they're not unloving. Like Paul, we need to be willing to confront the hard realities of our failings, to see where we've fallen short. Friends, can we set aside bickering and division? Christ is not divided, so we are, who are in him cannot be divided. All of us, however remarkable or unremarkable, by the standards of our culture, we're all equal recipients of grace and dignity all on equal footing at the foot of the cross. And it's Jesus that redeems the world. Not any political leader, not any influencer, not any pastor, not any celebrity, no idol can be where we put our hope. Our hope is found in the work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. So, the next time you find yourself divided against your brother or sister, lean back on the fact that because you are in Christ and they are in Christ, they're a part of you a bond stronger than family, on equal footing at the foot of the cross, racing to the bottom, saying, how can I serve you? Can we stand? If you want to open your hands in receiving of the benediction. May you be men and women who are rooted in love in a race to the bottom, determining how you can best serve one another. We love you guys. So Sarah, the woman who is leading worship today, her album is actually available for sale in the back if you'd like to purchase it.
And don't forget, if you want to take a car wash, or take a car wash, get a car wash, uh, like take a shower, take a car wash, um, your, your car's taking a shower, uh, that's going to be over here in the West Building. Love you guys. Have a good night. Day.